What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Dylan LeClaire is the senior market analyst at UTXO Management. He also writes a newsletter with Bitcoin Magazine. In this conversation, we talk about Bitcoin, on-chain metrics. We talk about Bitcoin's price, the market structure, and what to expect in the coming weeks. I really enjoyed this conversation with Dylan, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by FTX US. FTX.US is the safe, regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin and other digital assets. You can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than top competitors. There are no fixed minimum fees, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees either. FTX.US is also the only leading exchange that supports both Ethereum and Solana NFTs. Download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP to earn these free crypto on every trade over $10. The more you trade, the more you earn. Go download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP. This episode is brought to you by BCB Group. With a dedicated focus on institutional payment services, BCB Group provides business banking, cryptocurrency, and foreign exchange market liquidity for many of the world's largest crypto-engaged financial institutions. BCB business accounts allow businesses to load fiat currency and cryptocurrencies for payments, operations, and trading purposes. BCB's clients can trade FX and cryptocurrencies quickly and at scale with market-leading value. BCB's Blink Network is the European crypto industry's first instant settlements network and one of the first real-time payment networks of its kind to allow free real-time transactions across fiat and digital currencies. BCB's vision is to empower the global financial revolution through sustainable and innovative banking. You can find out more by visiting bcbgroup.com slash pomp today. Again, if you want to learn more, go to bcbgroup.com slash pomp today. This episode is brought to you by CoinChange. CoinChange is an automated wealth management platform that earns daily compounded yield for you. They've got sophisticated algorithms that automatically analyze and allocate liquidity to more than 25 DeFi protocols, where you can earn very high rates of return on a risk-mitigated basis when you hold your crypto. Earn while you sleep, exercise, or listen to this podcast. Your payout doesn't depend on the volatility of the market, and there are no lockups or minimums. They don't lend, trade, or rehypothecate your assets. This means that by becoming a CoinChange client, you start earning yield from day one, and you can withdraw your funds at any time. Register now at coinchange.io slash pomp and get a welcome bonus of 40 USDC when you fund your account. Again, coinchange.io slash pomp. Don't just hold your crypto assets, but earn smart DeFi yield with CoinChange. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Next up, we have Dylan LeClaire. Dylan, how are you? Hey, Pomp. How's it going, man? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I have uh, I have seen your Twitter skills drastically improve over the last few weeks, and uh, I will have a, a starting question. I don't think I've ever asked you before. When you wake up, what is the first thing you go check? Is there a data point? Is there a platform? Do you go to Twitter? Like, what do you do first thing in the morning when you wake up and you're like, I got to figure out what the hell's going on? Uh, admittedly, it's not the best habit. I probably open my phone and, and scroll Twitter for a bit, but I've, uh, I've been trying to get a better morning routine going, but yeah, probably Twitter, check, uh, check some macro data, uh, 
I, I usually wake up before the markets open, but uh, yeah, just check futures. Uh, that's that's my life nowadays. I uh, uh, I think a lot of people like to uh, maybe virtue signal that uh, they keep their phone in a different room. They don't check it when they wake up. Every person I know, they check it when they wake up. And it's probably not healthy, as you mentioned, but uh, it, it is interesting that you go to Twitter first before you go look at any other data points. Is there a data point that you look at once you start looking at data outside of Twitter, like that you're like, this is the thing I think is most important right now to give me a sense of what's happening? Yeah, I mean, I'm checking the, the futures markets, obviously Bitcoin trade 24-7. Um, I mean, in particular, watching, watching currency markets uh, nowadays and rates. Um, what's happening? I think you talked about it a little bit earlier in the show uh, with the euro, with the dollar strength against really every major currency and a lot of our emerging markets. It's it's quite amazing to watch. Um, so that's that's what I'm watching a lot nowadays in regards to the macro. Um, and you know, obviously the Bitcoin market's chugging along 24/7, 365. So no shortage of uh, of you know kind of volatility and and you know fun market moves there. Absolutely. We got a couple of charts that you uh, that you want to talk through. The first is uh, the Bitcoin uh, supply that is in profit, the percent of Bitcoin supply in profit. Uh, it's a seven day moving average. Uh, it's down. <laughs> Shocking. Uh, what is this showing us? Yeah. So today's show, I uh, thought I would, you know, we've talked a ton about macro in recent months. Um, we've also talked a little bit about on chain, on, on a derivatives, about the counterparty risk and the contagion. I think we're just going to strip a lot of the narrative back, a lot of like the, you know, the macro environment back and just look at previous Bitcoin cycles. Um, I think it's because it's, it's so much fascinating that, you know, there is this big narrative. The price action is ugly. Um, there's certainly been a, a whole lot of forced selling and forced liquidations. But if we just go back and, and look at previous Bitcoin cycles, obviously this, this current crypto Bitcoin cycle uh, was an order of magnitude or, you know, a lot larger than, than the previous cycles. Uh, but in relative terms, it's actually not really anything new in, in terms of what we've seen previously. So today's today's kind of show is going to be focused around um, some of the on-chain data and just looking at you know if this Bitcoin cycle, this bear cycle, is pre, you know compares to that of, of previous ones, uh, which obviously a limited sample size, only about three or four in, in Bitcoin's history. Um, you know what can we derive from that, and and what may the future hold? Obviously, uh, you know past uh, you know kind of what happened in the past doesn't translate directly to, to future outcomes, but it can, you know, it can give us a guide to what's happening. So, you know, current supply and profit uh, nearing that 50% level, right? Uh, we're starting to see, you know, the, the vast majority, actually the average uh, Bitcoin holder is underwater. So we're going to cover realized price in a second, but that realized price is essentially the average cost basis of every coin on chain. That's like $22,000 today. So at $20,000 Bitcoin at $19,000 Bitcoin, your average holder is underwater, and we've seen that in, in basically capitulation periods or or the depths of bear markets. And so this is just kind of one of those gauges. I mean, you could have no idea what's happening in the macro environment and say, hey, you know, this is pretty this is a pretty typical boom bust cycle for Bitcoin. So it's kind of fascinating to, to see it all play out in a, a macro downturn. And so when we start to look at those past cycles uh, on this specifically, obviously we're close to that green area. We are not in it yet. Uh, in the past, we have gone into it. Is your expectation that we have to revisit uh, kind of the depths of those drawdowns? Or do you think that, you know, quote, unquote, this time could be different and we may get close, but not actually have to get that level of uh, kind of sell down on, uh, on this metric? Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think technical analysis on a lot of these indicators is like, you know, the, the most important factor. It's just really just kind of contextualizing that, hey, Bitcoin's down 70% or whatever it is from the all-time highs. No, it's not going to die. Yes, there are a lot of coins and a lot of, and a lot of purchases that are underwater. No, this is not 
you know, atypical from what we've seen in previous boom bust cycles. And this kind of this kind of steady bleed. Well, I mean, a lot of it was forced selling, but I, I kind of believe that we're going to see uh, more consolidation, maybe even further further downside and more pain in the market. But it's completely natural. It's a it's a purge from weak to strong, from impatient to convicted. And this is what kind of sows the seeds for the next bull run. This is exactly what we did in 2020 or the, you know, the years post 2017 bull market. Uh, and, you know, Bitcoin died at $3,000 and people forgot about it and, you know, kind of kicked it out. And, and what happened next? Right. It rallied and, and it didn't die somewhat surprisingly to all the skeptics. So we're in kind of the we're kind of in the later stages of this of this kind of cleansing. Uh, I wouldn't call it maybe I wouldn't I'm not trying to call a bottom here. Um, and certainly the macro the macro environment is, you know, I'm expecting to, to deteriorate further. But this is just, you know, the, the whole point of this exercise is just to kind of highlight that in, in Bitcoin's history, this is this is nothing new, regardless of the kind of uh, dynamic macro backdrop we see. Got it. And so when we go and we take a look at the drawdown from the all time high, uh, we can go all the way back to, you know, maybe it's like late 2011, early 2012. Uh, there was a 93% drawdown. We've got in 2015, 84, 85% drawdown, uh, 2019 kind of end of 2018, there was that 84% drawdown. And then since then it looked like there'd been less severe drawdowns, right? So we were kind of like, let's call it 85 to 95% in previous, uh, bear markets. We got a 75% drawdown, uh, for COVID. We got a 50% drawdown last summer after the uh, China ban of miners, uh, but the current one has been 70%. How do you contextualize uh, kind of what looked like maybe less volatility to the downside in some of these uh, market downturns uh, with the longer term trend of, you know, 85, 95% drawdowns in Bitcoin's price? Yeah, it's pretty fascinating because kind of, you know, after 2020, we saw, you know, the, the money printer go bird narrative, Bitcoin breaks 20,000, absolutely flies. Uh, and a lot of market participants, myself included, were debating whether Hey, is this time different? Is Bitcoin at a you know just surpassed a trillion dollar uh, you know market cap at fifty thousand or so? Uh, is this time different? Are we going to see less volatility to the downside instead of eighty percent drawdowns? Are we going to see thirty percent, fifty percent? Like what does what does Bitcoin hold as it continues to kind of mature as this global macro asset? Uh, and and funny enough, that just that thinking and that kind of uh, reinforcement to the upside let led a lot lot of market participants from miners to funds, uh, to, to really even like the retail participants to these lending platforms to kind of lever up in, in a way that actually presented some asymmetric downside risk. And so, you know, this kind of seemingly like black swan event where Bitcoin goes straight down for the last six months with really no bounces, just kind of consolidation periods in between. I think it was almost reinforced or uh, a little bit caused by a lot of these market participants. Uh, who have even even like experienced Bitcoiners uh, who have been who have seen cycle after cycle, thinking that hey maybe this time's different maybe Bitcoin is is mature it's not going to draw down 70 80 percent so they lever up and all of a sudden you know price responds to the downside and it and it causes this kind of forced liquidation and forced selling that's that's somewhat relentless um, so it's going to be really interesting to see just you know how far it takes or how how low Bitcoin goes before it bottoms uh, is is, you know, 75, 80, 85, 90% possible, 100%. I mean, Bitcoin can always go down 50% from its current level. And I think uh, not just having that that probabilistic thinking uh, will, will do you a big disservice because, you know, you never want to become a forced seller. Like that's the number one rule here. So, uh, you know, I would say now is not the time to add to leverage. Don't try to catch knives. It'll be, in my opinion, it'll be, it'll be clear uh, when the time is to, you know, go out a little bit out on the risk curve uh, in, in Bitcoin terms, if you want to do that. Uh, but for the meantime, you're seeing miners with a lot of pressure. 
you're seeing a lot of fun redemptions and really any bounce is just kind of shorts closing and uh, you know, and some scalp longs. No one really wants to take any risk here, especially kind of the TradFi world. So uh, I think just, you know, I don't know exactly how far we go from the all-time high, whether it's 80, 85, et cetera. But uh, it's just interesting that a lot of market participants thought this time was different and uh, Bitcoin humbled everybody, it seems. Bitcoin humbles everyone over and over and over again, which is, I think, what makes people so intellectually interested in as well. Uh, you've got the Bitcoin market value to realize value ratio here. What is this showing us? Yeah, so we talked about this one a lot. Uh, it's kind of a, a simple framework of the average cost basis. But really what we're trying to do here is map out what previous bears look like. So we have this average cost basis. It's actually way less volatile uh, to the upside and downside than, than Bitcoin itself. It's kind of like it's like if you have a moving average, but it's like the best moving average you can have because it accounts for every single coin, right? So it's like a very uh, kind of natural or very organic uh, valuation framework for Bitcoin. Um, and if we want to just go to the, the next slide, uh, slide number four, uh, this is actually showing the, the drawdowns of realized, of realized price or realized market cap. The realized market cap is just the aggregate price of every Bitcoin when it was last moved. The realized, uh, the realized price, just the average price, right? It's, it's market cap versus price, same, same as, as a standard market cap and price. Uh, but what you can see here is that realized cap or the realized price uh, draws down a lot less than actually the, the market cap does, right? So instead of these 70, 80, 85% drawdowns, what you're seeing is really only like 25, 20%, 15% drawdowns. Currently, we're at, a, I think, a, a 10% drawdown from its all-time high in kind of this this, uh, this average cost basis or, or aggregate market cap, uh, on-chain market cap, right? So this is, I think, a much better way. And it would it'd be a lot healthier if, if market participants and, and people buying Bitcoin, you know, had the realized price displayed on their, on their, on their ticker or on their chart or on their phone, right? Uh, it, would, it would lead to a, loss le- a lot less panicky investing and, and decision-making. Um, but this is, I think, the, you know, the kind of the best way to, to look at Bitcoin and evaluate its cycles. So if we, if we go back to three, uh, what we're seeing here is that Bitcoin bear markets, right? When, how long does Bitcoin trade under that kind of that realized price, that realized cap, that, that if you want to call it fair value? And so previous bear markets, we saw 215 days, 384 days, 130, 134 days in 2018, 2019. And right now we've been under that kind of valuation for about 30 days. So obviously the macro environment is different than all of those previous cycles. We know that. Obviously, Bitcoin's a lot bigger than it was in previous cycles. We know that as well. Uh, but just if we're looking at the history of Bitcoin and we strip away all that noise like you're talking about, you know, it, we can expect to see, you know, a few months, maybe maybe up to six months, even a year of just kind of chop below below this cost basis, below this kind of average price as these these coins are transferred from weak to strong. And so it's a very natural process and it takes time. And so I think we've seen for the most part, we've seen a lot of that price based capitulation. Bitcoin's down 75 percent. I think really now we're starting, we're kind of in the beginning innings of the time-based capitulation where market participants are bored, the speculators are leaving or have already left and Bitcoin's, you know, out for dead again. And so, you know, this is just the time for builders, it's time for stackers and hodlers and, you know, and in the long run, it's 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 very healthy and, and, and a big opportunity. The builders, the stackers and the hodlers. I love that. Uh, when you mention fair value uh, and this idea of kind of like the realized price, is that probably the best comparison of, you know, you get all these like value investors. They say, I want to buy assets for less than they're worth. Uh, and they are super patient. They acquire as much capital as they can in the good times. They wait for kind of blood in the streets and then they strike and they try to buy these assets for less than they're worth. Is that kind of how to think about like realized price and, and what we're talking about? 
about here of, uh, in some ways, Bitcoin, when it trades underneath this historically, again, can't promise the future, but historically, it has been trading for less than it's worth uh, based on the market. And therefore, it's been a good time uh, to start to acquire it. Yeah, I mean, that's how I think about it when I talk to uh, kind of like um, talk to some funds, talk to some like, you know, traditional investors. And they're saying, like, how do I think of this? There's no intrinsic value. You know, I, I understand that just based on the asymmetry, based on the understanding in recent years that this thing isn't going away. Like, I, I want some in my portfolio. When do I buy? When do I start adding to a position? Like, I'm not a, I'm not a zealot. I'm, I'm old. I, I don't want a huge part of my portfolio in this thing, but I want some, right? So how do I think about it? And, and I would always love the realized price and this market value to realized value ratio and say, okay, you know, there's, there's no promise of, of, you know, up only from here or future returns, but like, a pretty good time to buy is when when the average you know uh, the average holder the average Bitcoin uh, investor is underwater, right? That's when you that's when you see the capitulation. That's when you see you know this this asset this network is left for dead by the the mainstream media. It's you know <laughs> it's this industry is now once again a laughing stock, right? So um, I think Bitcoin can obviously go lower. And if we go to slide seven, um, I show the the price um, drawdown below the realized price. So just in terms of like kind of contextualizing how much lower it could go than this than this uh, kind of fair value, it, it can go a lot lower, right? In 2012, we saw it go, I think like close to 50%. Um, uh, and so it can still draw down a lot. It was 60%, 40%, 30%. Uh, it can still go a, a good amount below that level. Uh, but really that's like the ultimate, ultimate buying opportunities is below these kind of this realized price, this fair value. Uh, and the long-term investors, the value investors, should really kind of understand this framework as, as something that, hey, Bitcoin's not going away. We want to buy when, again, yeah, there's blood in the streets. Do you anticipate that the realized price could make a massive downturn? Like pretty much it's you know usually kind of flat to up just given the way that it's calculated uh, as kind of like a, 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 a type of moving average, if you will. Um, is there a world where we could see it materially go down? Like, could we see realized price go down 20% uh, of the actual realized price? Not where the price of Bitcoin is trading below the realized yeah. price, but like realized price actually go down like that? Or is that less likely just given the dynamics of the market and kind of how that's calculated? It's definitely it's definitely possible. And, you know, currently around 10% below uh, below its all-time high. It goes down or trends up based on whether whether coins are being spent, right? If they're like spent, I mean, being moved from the, from the last time they were there moved on chain. Uh, at a profit or a loss. And so obviously there's a little bit of noise in the metric, right? If I transfer coins to cold storage and then I just reshuffle them to a different, you know, cold storage or a multi-sig wallet, and I'm not actually spending them, but it's moving, the realized price says, hey, like that's an economic spend at a profit or a loss. But kind of in aggregate, on average, it's a pretty useful tool, right? So like obviously not every spend is economic, but uh, realized price could, you know, in theory go down 20%, 25%, like it has in previous times. Uh, if we see a lot of still kind of uh, higher buys, right? People that have bought at 60,000, 50,000, 40,000, a lot of these these coins have already capitulated. It's why we've seen uh, the realized price go from say 25K, which it was hovering around for a while to now like 22, uh, but it could still go lower uh, if more if more kind of previous top buyers capitulate, right? So I think for the most part, anybody that's here and hasn't kind of capitulated or hasn't been a four seller uh, is kind of just in it for the long haul. That's usually why we see Bitcoin bottom it's kind of a sunk cost fallacy to say, "Hey, like my average buy is, is underwater. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna hold on to this thing and ride it out." Um, funny enough, not funny enough, but uh, for the first time ever, actually, Bitcoin's below its 200-week moving average. So, what does that mean? Uh, the average four-year DCA, or for like the first time in Bitcoin's history, is, is underwater. So, like 
just in terms of in terms of sentiment, in terms of just like historic levels of of down only, uh, we're we're there. We see it. Uh, certainly, it doesn't mean that more downside can't happen, um, and everybody needs to be prepared for it uh, mentally. But uh, you know, in terms of of long term asymmetry, never mind the short to the in the immediate term. Uh, you know, this is going to be looked back on as as one of the best times to, to buy Bitcoin. I think over the next three to six months. Yeah, and so when you start to look at uh, maybe the on chain metrics, things around the Bitcoin market, there's been a number of commentators uh, and analysts who have said, look. We can do all this analysis, but the macro environment is this like hangover uh, on it. How do you think about balancing those two, right? So the on-chain metrics are saying, hey, look, we're, we're trading below realized price. There's been this significant drawdown. Historically, some of the drawdowns have been more. Some of them have been around this level. Uh, and I think most people, if they just were evaluating that data set, would be pretty excited right now if your goal was to acquire uh, more Bitcoin. But the macro seems to be like this huge question mark. And so like, how do you think about balancing those two? Yeah, so I've always kind of thought of the, the on-chain as like this, this long-term, maybe not even, not even quarter to quarter, like year over year, cycle by cycle to cycle uh, type framework, right? You can kind of get a general sense of when things are overvalued or undervalued. Um, but yeah, the macro is definitely the driver. I, I am of the opinion that we're, we're headed for kind of some, some point of singularity where... Uh, you're seeing all this craziness, all this upheaval, all of this unrest, uh, you know, politically and socially around the world uh, and economically, right? The, the Eurozone is a total mess. Uh, the Japanese yen is melting down. The dollar is soar, soaring higher. Credit markets are, are melting down. Um, I think in terms of the equity markets, the first leg of the drawdown was all about duration, right? So yields went from basically zero to, you know, two, three, uh, three and a half percent. And so what did that do? It, it crushed the kind of the multiples side of the stock. Uh, now, equity markets, the next big concern is the consumer has been getting killed because of inflation, right? So now the earnings are, are that kind of, uh, are, are the, the next leg down, I think. It was first, it was about duration. Now it's about earnings. Um, so I, I still believe, in, and why I still have some cash on the side, is I believe that we have, uh, we're going to reach kind of this, this correlation to one moment, right? Obviously, Bitcoin's correlated to the to the Nasdaq, to the S and P five hundred, to equity indices. Uh, and when you know those are down, uh, Bitcoin's down more. And and recently, when those are up, Bitcoin's been kind of just sitting flat, which is a little worrisome. But I still think we're going to see this this huge, whether it's a limit down day in equities uh, or some you know credit market breaking or some something breaking in the currency markets. Uh, we're going to see something in the financial system break, and that's going to be the cause for a Fed pivot. I think a, a, a soft landing is, is somewhat laughable. And so that's why I still have some kind of buying power on the sidelines because it's completely exogenous to Bitcoin itself. It, you know, the Bitcoin network is at 100% uptime. Nothing has changed about the underlying thesis, uh, but it's not insulated against these, these broader markets, right? Bitcoin is still just a drop in the bucket in terms of the global financial assets. Uh, and when the bond market's gurgling and something breaks, then you know, the liquidity, the liquidity effects of, of that are obviously going to make its way into the Bitcoin market. So the on-chain is a useful framework for, for, you know, six months, a year, four years, right? It's this, this kind of cycle by cycle. Like, is it undervalued? Is it a little bit overvalued? Should I wait? Uh, but the, the macro right now is, is obviously the driver. And I think really every asset on the planet is, is a kind of a function of the liquidity tide being pulled out or, or being pushed, you know, kind of pushed onto land. Right before we started recording, there's a video that started to surface uh, on Twitter of Vladimir Putin. I don't know where he is, but he's giving a, a speech, and we'll trust that the translations are correct. It's a big if, but it, it appears to be correct based on the people who are uh, are tweeting it. Um, and he's talking about the 
end or the crack in like this liberal world order. He's talking about the American uh, kind of pursuit of dominance globally and really a transition into this like multipolar uh, world. And his point was like, hey, once we invaded Ukraine, uh, that basically said the U.S. was going to sanction us. And when they did that, that was going to be uh, really kind of a, a, a milestone moment in the global uh, order because now you have multiple countries that are trying to almost play, you know, whose ally am I going to be? What currency am I going to use? He didn't mention Bitcoin at all. Uh, I don't think he's really talked that much at all about Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, any of that stuff. What's your take on like his theory? And then is it just like, oh, the natural conclusion is that Bitcoin ends up being really important in that world? Or do you think there's another way to kind of look at Bitcoin with the backdrop of maybe the world is changing on a uh, geopolitical stage? Yeah, I think Bitcoin is definitely kind of in the backdrop, right? It's maturing. It's still very, very nascent. Um, and, and geopolitically, it's still kind of this thought experiment, right? I mean, we're seeing like small countries like El Salvador be like, hey, you know, this is good money, but you know, there, it's not it's not significant whatsoever in terms of it's, it's also just not big enough. Right. It's five hundred billion dollars. Like it's not big enough for, for global oil trade or global commodities trade at this moment. Uh, I think it does get there. But what Putin's saying, and, and I will preface this with saying I'm not some you know decades long geopolitical expert. I just like to listen to really smart people. Uh, Peter Zihan, who's been on your podcast, Luke Roman. Um, these guys are really, really smart thinkers. And it's been their job for the last decade to kind of map out and decipher these huge shifts that we're seeing. And basically, I think what Putin did was he he basically called check he called checkmate on the on the Western uh, bond market and financial system. Right? He saw inflation was at you know decade highs five six percent and said, all right, you know we're going to invade Ukraine. But it wasn't really about the the kind of uh, you know the physical land, um, even though that played an effect. What it, what it was was the Western countries sanctioned him, and he said, all right, Europe, uh, <laughs> do you want to play games? We'll play games. Um, you have to buy you have to buy uh, oil and, and your gas in rubles, and we're gonna and we're gonna start demanding payment in rubles, and we're not gonna use the dollar. We're gonna de-dollarize, and we're gonna buy a bunch of gold, and we're gonna and we're gonna basically because we have all these commodities, we have all these natural resources. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna send inflation higher. We're gonna and we're basically gonna checkmate the Western world uh, into playing by our rules, not not your rules. And so you, in, you've seen trillions upon trillions, tens of trillions of dollars wiped out. Uh, from Western capital markets, uh, and Russia is also feeling a little bit of pain, but they're you know among the best uh, situations, or you know, kind of geopolitically to kind of uh, just man this one out. So it's it's a really fascinating game of chess. Obviously, uh, you know, Western hegemony has has favored a lot of people, and it's also kind of been uh, it's disadvantaged a lot of people in, in the U.S. and globally. Right? We've exported our inflation and hollowed out our uh, domestic manufacturing for the last 40 years or so. So there's like, these are really big shifts. Uh, the, the dollar hegemony, the dollar uh, as a kind of a world reserve currency. Uh, it's a, there's a lot of pros, but there's a lot of cons. And I think while the, although it's, you know, while the Dixie's at 108, it's, it's foolish to say, Hey, the dollars, you know, <laughs> dollar hegemony is done. The dollar is going away. But, you know, these are the kind of moves that, you know, looking back a decade or so say, Hey, like, you know, March of 2022 or whatever it was when Putin invaded Ukraine and kind of gave these speeches. Yeah, that was, that was a moment, like that was a big moment in time. And I think, you know, it kind of, it, it just shows that that trust is a, is eroding or has, has already eroded around the world. Right. The, the kind of the, the uh, thesis for Bitcoin is that it's a decentralized trustless currency, right? You don't have to trust your counterparty. Sovereign debt is, is completely requires trust. 
right? So the West froze Putin's reserves. They said, hey, your, your surplus is not yours. It's actually ours. And it's an IOU that we're not paying. And so something like Bitcoin, a bearer asset, right? Putin has a lot of gold, right? It's a, it's a physical bearer asset. It's a tangible asset. Well, Bitcoin's a digital bearer asset. It's a commodity with a production cost similar to gold. So while I don't think Putin in Russia is going to, you know, ape into some Bitcoin tomorrow, uh, the thesis of Bitcoin, uh, you know, a digital, a digital asset with, with no counterparty risk and a rising production cost is very, very powerful. And I think over the long term, a lot of nations are going to wake up to the game theory, but I think we're still very early. And when you see that happening, like I think of uh, maybe the population in three buckets, there's like, I don't know, over 50, 55, kind of the baby boomer generation. Then you get like the millennial generation and then you get, I don't know, maybe people under the age of 18, right? Is, is there a thought process of the psychology? Uh, we see it with Bitcoin, right? Just younger people, uh, although it's a generalization, they tend to be more open-minded about uh, new technology and things like Bitcoin. But they also almost haven't seen the world get shaped into the geopolitical stage that it is today. And so they're like naive to it to some degree or, or maybe just don't have the, the historical context. Like, how do you see that playing out? And maybe even like with some of your friends uh, who are you know your age, older, a little younger or whatever, like what is that conversation like? Or are they literally just like, dude, I don't even know what's going on. Like I'm, you know, trying to go find the party on Friday night and could care less. Yeah, there's, I think there's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, some people are completely naive to it. And, and honestly, ignorance is bliss. Um, I think also, you know, there's this kind of big shift, especially like in the, in the Western world in the United States, where we've had, you know, this, this pretty big privilege, uh, you know, the, the Triflin dilemma and, and kind of this, uh, this strong dollar uh, is, 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 you know, helped kind of the, the coastal elites and the college educated, but it's, it's, it's hurt a lot of the, like, again, like I said, the domestic manufacturing. And so for like, you know, uh, the, the, the college scene, right? Like, obviously, um, that's, that's kind of this, this Western financialized bubble of, of just pulling spending forward and, and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pay it off later. And, and it's kind of this, this privilege that a lot of the world doesn't really have. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, like also like the climate protests, right? A lot of people don't even understand how critical uh, fossil fuels and, and oil is to literally every single thing they use in their daily lives. Uh, so there, there is a little bit of like, I think uh, naivete to that, um, and and so I, I guess I don't really have a great answer for you there. But I just you know in terms of like the geopolitical landscape, I think nobody really has an appreciation for just like how big of an inflection point in history we might be in, uh, in terms of like you know this long term debt cycle, uh, the you know the kind of the changing world order that's been in place since 1940, right? These are like huge geopolitical shifts that occur once every century or so, maybe like you know occur occur once uh you know every 500 years like you know empires rise and fall i'm not calling for the the fall of the u.s empire but there's so many things that are like flashing red saying hey you know these are these are big big signs that we can't ignore any longer yeah what are you looking forward to over the next couple of weeks is, the, is there like a milestone is there a data point is there some uh uh event maybe just even like a cpi reading um what, what are you looking forward to uh, uh given the bitcoin market yeah, um, I mean, CPI is important, but I think uh, for the most part, we're kind of expecting a hot print, uh, but commodities have fallen off, inflation expectations have fallen off. So I think it's probably going to be, for the time being, the last of the the, the very, very, you know, scalding hot inflation prints. Um, really, I think what's, what's bigger uh, in terms of equities, in terms of Bitcoin in the markets and liquidity in general is, is the corporate earnings coming up. So uh, earnings season. Um, that'll be very important. Uh, we'll see what we'll see what happens there. Uh, but 
I think more so just kind of uh, understanding that the trend and a lot of the, you know, the don't fight the Fed trend, uh, the Fed is, is telling you what they they want to do. They want to d- destroy demand. Uh, they want to send asset prices lower and they want to, they want to, you know, clamp down on the inflation expectations. So I'm expecting a strong dollar. I'm expecting kind of weakness in, in risk assets uh, and for, for really any bounces to be kind of sold off very quickly. Um, you know, would, would be happy to, to be proven wrong there as a, as a holder of Bitcoin. But I, I think that, you know, it's, it's just, it's good to kind of, you know, have some, some expectations for what's going to happen in the future and, and to not be, you know, disappointed if, if they don't, you know, turn out. So, you know, expecting some more downside ready to buy blood. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it's going to be another six months or so of, of kind of ugliness in markets. Um, but really, actually, it might happen further, uh, just at the pace that everything's happening, right? You're seeing just things accelerate um, very, very quickly. So it's it's completely possible and probable that something just breaks earlier than that and causes a pivot. But, uh, you know, until we see some really kind of some, some calamity in financial markets, I think the trend is is lower uh, and more pain in the, in the domestic and global economy. Where can we send people to find you on the internet or uh, sign up for uh, the letter you guys put out? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Don't Look there underscore. Uh, I post about Bitcoin, uh, shit post a little bit, post about geopolitics and, and economics. And, and I'm really just learning on there. Like I obviously don't have the answers to everything and I love to just kind of hash it out with really smart people. And that's kind of how I've done the, the bulk of my learning is just in public. Um, so it's kind of a, a fun uh, fun place to be. Uh, I write for, for Bitcoin Magazine Pro, uh, kind of have a have a newsletter there where we talk about a lot of the kind of the more like in the weeds and depth stuff about the Bitcoin market. And so we, we cover the macro stuff. We cover what's happening in, in global markets, but really kind of a, a specific focus on Bitcoin uh, with some of these more like in-depth analytics like we talked about today. So that's what I do. Uh, appreciate you having me on as always, Pomp. Uh, it was good to kind of go back and forth with you and uh, hope you're staying, stay, uh, staying safe out there, man. Uh, somebody said that, uh, you look like you had to sell all of the paintings on your wall cause you're trying to buy more uh, cheap Bitcoin. And then somebody yeah. else also said, uh, they appreciate really smart people. So uh, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, anyone uh, who doesn't already highly suggest you follow Dylan on Twitter, uh, closing in on 200 K. So, uh, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. So congratulations, my friend. And we will, uh, we'll talk again in a few weeks. Cheers, man. Thanks. All right. Later. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.